everyone. My name is Jordi Mueller, and welcome to the Empower Women series of April. And to be completely honest with everybody, this is the first uh, Empower Women series that we're also recording uh, from the comfort of my home. <laughs> and uh, the our guest today uh, is Pam Pardot. Pam Pardot, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you, Jordi. How are you? Good. I'm, I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. And uh, we're so happy that you're here with us for a topic that I think actually might be in a lot of people's minds this month as everybody's kind of like hunkered down. And uh, and it's, it goes very alongside like finances and planning for the future and what did I expect or did I expect to, to live in my own life. And I think state planning is one of those topics that, that should be talked in their families right now. So uh, we're really lucky to have you. You and uh, and and I want to ask the first question, which is, why is state planning important? Well, estate planning is important for a number of reasons, but primarily, uh, estate planning allows you to to direct uh, what you have, your assets, um, to. Um, to direct who receives those assets that you've spent your life uh, amassing and accumulating. And it also uh, allows you to direct who you want to make decisions for you in the event that you're unable to make those decisions on your own, both from a financial standpoint and from a healthcare standpoint. Yeah, uh, that is such a key point. Uh, a lot of people relate state planning just to the wealth part of planning or the tax uh, implications or benefits that this might have. But is it, I'm glad you mentioned that this is also a key point on the decision making planning for the future. Right. Um, and that's um, that's where my talk is really focused is more on the healthcare and financial decisions that are to be made during people's lifetimes um, and not so much on where they want to direct their assets when they pass away. Yeah. And, and I have to ask, obviously, cannot avoid the environment that we're living in uh, right now with the whole uh, COVID-19 situation happening here in the United States. So if, if you don't mind me asking, um, what is one of the things that you've been uh, kind of like asked more often lately? So the issue that's coming up right now is, of course, uh, people uh sort of rushing to get their estate planning in place. And a lot of it is dealing with healthcare. Um, situations with parents, most notably, and also with younger adults. Um, I ha I do have a client uh, who has a 17-year-old son who has COVID-19 presently. He's doing okay, which is a huge factor, but she is in touch with the doctor herself on a regular basis. Uh, she first insisted that he be tested and subsequently uh, dealing with some of his symptoms. And so that is a power she has now as a parent. But when that young man turns 18, she no longer has that power inherent to her. And if the proper documents aren't in place, then she may not be able to communicate with the doctor. The doctor may not be able to communicate with her. And so it's important to put these documents in place. Um, usually when we're not in a crisis, it's more helpful when we're not in a crisis. But it's important to have these documents in place so that when a crisis happens or something unexpected occurs, that uh, – that there's these documents to reach for, to go to, and to present to the carers that are taking care of yeah. uh, children. And, and the same is true to the adults as well, to the to the elderly people with parents um, involved now in, in nursing home care and assisted living. These documents are really relevant so that the 
children who may live uh, close by or far away can communicate with those healthcare professionals. Yeah, I cannot stress enough how this uh, sometimes gets overlooked by families, especially uh, at least what we have seen is in situations where uh, the young adults or, or children start going to college and, and these documents don't, don't get put in place. And then suddenly you have the situation where the college uh, student is not even in the state. Um, and if something happens and when there is no power of attorney or healthcare proxy, it becomes really hard to make decisions from distance or sometimes actually legally impossible. Right. And, and the way I, I sort of present it uh, quite often is that it's an insurance policy. Like anything else, you hope that you never have to make a claim. But if you do, you're usually pretty satisfied or happy that the insurance is in place. And this is analogous to that in that, you, you know, you really hope that you won't need to step in and make decisions because hopefully everything will go fine. But in the event that something does happen, it sure is um, convenient and and uh, one less thing to concern yourself with when you have the documents in place. So let's let's talk about now that we have at, at least, uh, at least uh, discussed a couple, which in this particular case were the power of attorney and the healthcare proxy. Um, what other documents do you consider people should definitely pay attention to uh, primarily uh, right now? So the, the four primary documents that are effective during a person's lifetime are the healthcare proxy, the durable power of attorney, uh, what's called a HIPAA release or HIPAA authorization, and a living will. Uh, so uh, starting with the healthcare proxy, which is obviously, I think, the most relevant at the present time, uh, that allows the uh agent or the healthcare uh, proxy, the person nominated to communicate with doctors and uh, for the doctors to share information and to communicate with the proxy holder. Uh, this is uh, a document where it's it somewhat springs back and forth. If a, a primary or what we call the principal has capacity to make decisions on their own, that person will always be the primary person to make their decisions for themselves. The healthcare proxy kicks in when that person is not able to communicate their decisions, whether they're unconscious or whether they're in a situation of uh, hyper-anxiety. Or um, in one case, I had a, a client whose son had um, uh, massive chest pains and hmm. uh, was not able to communicate during that process to the emergency personnel that was taking care of him. Ultimately, it, it proved to be um, a an asthma attack. So he recovered fairly quickly, thankfully, and was able to communicate shortly thereafter. And so that um, power holder only has that uh, position during that period of incapacity. I, I, it, this is one of the things that as a family or as, as uh, people closing your network, it never comes up unless it's necessary. And it's one of those things that I, I really think they are overlooked when it comes to just regular planning in families, which is when, when you usually need these documents, it's a little too late to have them. So that's why it's good to prepare for them. And, and I think right now, as we are in this situation, it's, I mean, the whole COVID-19 situation, it's a really good time to start talking to your family of what they want and who do they want. I can I can share a, a personal story here super fast. That is, um, I, had, I had a recent discussion with my own family that I am from Mexico. They are in Mexico, my parents. My sister lives in Houston, Texas. So nobody is really here in Massachusetts. So I had to really start thinking about, okay, who should be my healthcare 
proxy, uh, maybe somebody that can go to the hospital, <laughs> like SAP, like it's local. And, uh, and they were not happy about it. But after a couple of times talking about it, they, they realized that it was the most logical decisions. One, because of language barrier. And two, because they were not probably going to be here for an emergency. Right. And the convenient part about a healthcare proxy is you can actually name more than one person who can act in conjunction. So you can have co-healthcare proxies. And so in a situation like yours, it, it may be beneficial to consider naming two people. Of course, the that brings up the inherent possible conflict if the uh, people you nominated don't agree. Mm -hmm. But um, that, that's sort of a different different uh, question and a different issue to be to be dealt with. But hopefully um, you've had an opportunity if you're thinking about this process to communicate to these people you've nominated to tell them what your thoughts and wishes are and how you want to be cared for. And, uh, and that's an important factor is if you are thinking about this in advance, you have uh, the ability to have those conversations and communications with those people um, who you feel feel close enough and trust to make those decisions for you. Um, the other thing that usually comes up is um, the whole the entire cost of setting up this, and and I think there is a misconception around there that this is a very expensive process to put together or a very expensive setup, and that's not quite the case for everything. Uh, I don't know if you want to maybe relate a little bit of how the industry works. Sure. Um, so certainly estate planning can cost uh, uh, quite a significant amount of money, but this, the, for the purposes of this discussion um, and putting documents into place that really should be in place without uh, focusing on the scope, it can be um, quite uh, in efficient and not as expensive as I think people would expect. So um, when it comes to estate planning for uh, youth, for, for young adults who um, recently turned uh, 18, 19, or 20, who don't have a lot of assets, the the documents, the four documents or th three to four documents that I would recommend generally cost about five to six hundred dollars uh, to get into place. Hmm. Um, it's a pretty streamlined process. Uh, I, in my practice, I send out a questionnaire. The questionnaire really is um, directed at getting the information that I need to input into the documents themselves. So Per, per, uh, people's legal names, which is the name that's uh, on their birth certificate or driver's license, their address, uh, the names of the people they nominate to act as fiduciaries, and their uh, contact information, and then any special wishes that they want. Um, hmm. it's, it's interesting that you know even 18-year-olds do have unique and interesting ideas about how they want to be treated, and so it gives them an opportunity to write that in the documents themselves. And if it's something that I have a question about, I can. Uh, certainly discuss that with the individual. Um, and, and it's important to note that the my client is actually the young adult, not the parents who often instigate this and who I end up speaking with quite um, at length. But it is the child who is my client, and that's the person I, I do listen to and, and uh, input that information into excuse me, into the documents. And so that is, um, it's fairly straightforward and can be done pretty quickly. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. I never actually thought about that, like officially or legally, that as, as soon as you do a healthcare proxy, yes, the majority of the time is the parents starting this conversation, but once the client signs, which in, in this case is the younger person, uh, they become instantly your client. Exactly. Exactly. Oh. And, and same for the um, for an estate plan for a senior citizen or an elderly person. Uh, for the purposes of this discussion, it's a slightly more expensive because you know there's obviously more um, 
issues that uh, have have sort of come in existence as they you know, uh, during their lifetime, but it's still something that can be done generally in about uh, under a thousand dollars or at the thousand dollar mark. So, um, when hmm. you think about the costs associated with uh, putting a guardianship or a conservatorship in place, it's really nominal, um, and the efficiency of just having a, a seamless transition to the people nominated in the documents rather than having to go to court, um, sometimes in an emergency situation, it's um, it's much, much less expensive than having to go that route. Um, I, just just because of the nature of your business where you deal with a lot of legal documents, um, and we are a financial firm, so we also deal with a lot of legal documents, I'm assuming you're facing a little bit of weird challenges or unexpected challenges through this crisis where people are not really seeing each other in person. Uh, and I really mean literally technological challenges. Uh, tell me, how is that working for you? Yeah, that that has been um, a challenge for us uh, currently. And I've been uh, holding my breath waiting for the legislature to address the notary public bill. And hopefully, shortly, um, notary publics will be able to witness documents virtually. Um, but at present, we cannot. And... Um, and so it is creating somewhat of a backlog for executing estate planning documents. Um, interestingly enough, uh, will does not have to be notarized, though it in in most cases, in fact, all cases to date, I have notarized uh, a will or I've had a, a notary sign a will. A will under the um, under the formalities needs to have two witnesses. The, the major issue and the reason why we like to have it notarized is because it, it needs, it, in order to be at what's called a self-proving will, it needs to have a notary. And so what that means is if there is a problem with a witness, the notary kicks in and will, um, will satisfy the requirements of the formalities. But uh, it was actually a judge at a seminar uh, that I was listening to that pointed out that it's not an absolute. And so we could get a will in place fairly quickly. Um, I do have a client who um, is elderly right now in a in an assisted care facility. And she has, we have a, a codicil to her will drafted and it's it's ready to be signed. And we're, we're waiting, quite frankly, we're waiting until either something really severe happens to her or until we can uh, meet face to face. But um, but I'm ready to go forward with emergency measures if it, it presents itself. But I think right now we're we're sort of uh, holding ourselves in place and, and waiting. Um, but as soon as if if a notary bill does pass, which allows for virtual uh, execution, then I think we're going to jump on that. A lot of uh, business that has been sort of um, st stocking up will get will get done. Yeah, I, I think uh, at least in particular, our industry got a little lucky when the majority of the official signatures that need to be literally like pen in are uh, the account opening process, uh, not necessarily on the maintenance. Uh, so so we, we're able to function a lot online, but we are facing that for uh, the same issue, literally the same issue, that technology and the and laws around technology are not kind of up to date. And, and that's kind of like what's happening. And it is important to point out, I think, that banks are still open and they are still notarizing documents. So if somebody does have a document that, that needs notarization, they can get that done. The problem is in, in a will signing case or in executing estate plans is that you need two witnesses and the notary. 
And obviously getting everybody together at a bank is just, it's not uh, the right way to proceed at this point. And then in the case with my client in the assisted care facility, she can't get, she can't leave that. She's not in a, in a, a health position, health or a position health wise to leave the facility. And so getting her to a bank is not an option either. Uh, so so some, tra- some business can be transacted and I have had clients go to their banks and have their, um, those particular documents that they've needed to be notarized. Um, we've been able to accomplish that. Uh, no, that's awesome. And, and I remember just chatting with you in, in an exchange of emails before this conversation today, it never triggered to me just this entire conversation and, and how it could like literally cause issues on implementation currently when you need it the most, right? Like this is when we need it the most. And- right. Especially now, um, especially now when everybody is concerned about it. And if somebody were to be in a, an emergent position uh, to get something done and, and it's foreseeable that that could happen, mm-hmm. uh, then I think, you know, we'll, we'll do our best to try to get things implemented and get things done. Certainly the courts are open now for emergency business. And I've had a few ex- instances where that's um, where we've moved forward on an emergency and, and they are, um, you know, getting things done, but in a, in a, in a normal situation where there, it's not emergent, things have really come to a grinding halt. So I, just to kind of like wrap the conversation, because honestly, guys, state planning is one of those that once you get into more detail, there's a lot of different strategies that can be used to benefit multi-generational planning, uh, tax planning, etc. Depending on the state that you live in, it differs a lot as well. Uh, but but I wanted to ask you uh, something that I think could be relevant for everybody right now, which is what's the one thing that people can do tomorrow to get this kind of like together within their family or one recommendation that you, you have for the people listening that they can start doing tomorrow. So I, I think the thing um, that's that we could take advantage of this time where we're all uh, staying at home and uh, communicating with each other uh, more readily and more often is to actually have these discussions about what your wishes are about who you want to have as fiduciaries um, and by fiduciaries, I mean the people that you want to nominate to be personal representative of your will, who you might want to have as trustee of your trust if you if you end up with a trust or if you have a trust now, who you want to act as your healthcare proxy, who you want to put in charge of your finances. They don't necessarily have to be the same person. Often they are the same person, but I've had certainly plenty of cases where one child is a nurse and another child is in finance. And so they appoint the child who's a nurse as a healthcare proxy and the child who's involved with finance as the durable power of attorney. And so um, so it's a great time to have these conversations so that when things do return to a more normal society and we actually can proceed with executing the documents, if you um, want to make changes to your documents, uh, then you'd be primed to do that. Or if you want to set up documents, if you don't have them now, that you're um, in a position to move forward swiftly and get those documents set up. Um, Pam, this has been really helpful. Uh, There's probably going to be a lot more uh, follow-up from people. And uh, is it okay if we share your contact information with everybody that reaches out to us? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm always happy to, to talk about this subject to whomever is interested in learning about it, hearing about it, or using it for practical purposes. So thank you so much for your time, Pam, Esther, uh, or Pamela. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, stay uh, safe, stay healthy, and I hope your family is doing okay. You as well, Jordi. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And uh, for everybody else listening, this was the Empower Women series of April. And until next time, my name is Jordi Mueller, and hope you stay home and safe. Management is a group of investment professionals registered by Hightower Securities LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. And with Hightower Advisors LLC, a registered independent investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk. And there is no guarantee that the investment process or, or the investment opportunities referred herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not guaranteed. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information containing this research is provided as a general market commentary and does not constitute investment advice. Lexington Wall Management and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no express or implied representation or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data on other information or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as a date of reference. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of Lexington Well Management and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates.